0: This is an AMI podcast. I think that for me, the governance package as it currently exists is designed to obfuscate and to evade clear accountability for anything and also to make CNIB into a perpetual motion machine. And For years, CNIB has been used by government as a kind of intermediary between themselves and the large and somewhat confusing blind community.
1: Welcome to Triple Vision, I'm David Best, and we are continuing with our exploration into the danger of a single story narrative. In our last episode, we had a couple of guests from the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, who talked about the governance model from an internal perspective. Today, Peter Field and Hannah Levitt of our Triple Vision team have a couple more guests that are going to talk about the governance model of the Canadian National Institute for the Blind from the community external perspective. So, Peter, why don't you introduce our guests and see what they have to say?
2: Thank you, David. Anybody who listened to our podcast two weeks ago will have heard Jane Beaumont and Kevin Burns, as you said, David, talking about the current model of CNIB governance and, and the history behind that. And then you, David, and Hannah and I had a chance to um, dialogue about that for about 8 to 10 minutes at the end of the podcast. And, you know, I think one of our conclusions was while we accept what they said in terms of of a governance story, we're not sure uh, that that's that's shared by the community as a whole. So we're going to continue this, this discussion. Um, this will be the second in at least three podcasts dedicated to governance at CNIB. So we brought a brought a couple of people on um, who can talk from the point of view of, I'll call them consumers. There's there's lots of labels we can put on that, but and you can you can correct me, uh, Mary, Mary Ellen and Albert. But uh, I want to welcome Albert Ruel and. Mary Ellen Gabias to the podcast.
0: Hi, I'm Mary Ellen Gabias, and I am uh, recently retired as the president of the Canadian Federation of the Blind, which is a self help, totally volunteer, consumer driven organization of blind people. Um, I think that Peter perhaps asked me to participate in this because on the website www.cfb.com, we published a paper on the problem that CNIB is uh, squelching competition and is a monopoly in a way that is harmful to the prospects for decent services and programming for blind people.
3: All right. And I'm, I'm Albert Ruel. I'm a, uh, I guess, as you say, a consumer. I've, um, I started out my life as a sighted individual until I was in my early twenties and then slowly lost vision through to my thirties and uh, now in my mid sixties and have lived you know sort of forty five years in this journey from uh, perfect vision to no vision and through that all of that I've worked uh, at the c n i b in a managerial and fundraising roles and also uh have worked on the consumer side for the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians and the CCB and, and a variety of different things throughout um, throughout my life.
2: Something that you just identified right off the bat there, that there are a number of us in that so-called consumer community, myself included, who have lots of different connections and lots of different hats in terms of our, our connection to CNIV. Full disclosure, I'm currently uh, under contract with them. so. I'm com- coming at this podcast from the point of view of someone who is um, is a consumer, but a person who's also doing some work on contract with them as well. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that we we come you know, to this discussion with all kinds of perspectives and all kinds of hats. So um, Mary Ellen and Albert, you heard the podcast and um, let's just jump into it. What you thought of what you heard in terms of what uh, Kevin and Jane were talking about in terms of CNIB governance and how that impacts on lives of Canadians who are blind and partially sighted.
3: Well, what did I hear? I, you know, certainly I, I heard all of the the wiggling around of, you know, registration versus membership to the organization and uh, you know the the change that has occurred over the years from, you know, the Free Lending Library for the Blind that started in 1906 or seven, you know, through to uh, the, the current service model, and I guess it's one of those things. Evolution does just keep happening, and so there certainly continues to be change. Now, with the split into three different organizations, has has further, I think, confused the consumer and and, and the general public. So, you know, their the governance, the governance is certainly. One of the areas that um, isn't consumer-led, there is consumer engagement and involvement, and I don't know that it's uh, nearly as strong as most of us would prefer it to be. You know, registration is one of those things I remember, I think from Euclid Harry's book, or somewhere along the way, it, it's a, you know the Government of Canada had asked the NIB to go forth and register all blind Canadians so that we can know who they are, where they are, and what they need. Uh, you know, and that started that whole process. And yet, I'm not sure that I need to be registered in order to get services. So, I, I'm not sure today that that's still as valid as it might have been at one time. So, uh, and of course, membership—you you have to be a member in order to to vote at the AGM and the rest of it. But those of us who are clients aren't necessarily interested in that. So, we don't we don't engage and get involved at at that level. So. I, I heard a lot of confusion, and I, I, I'm not sure they were as crystal clear about the way it is, uh, than the rest of us are out here.
0: I am an immigrant to Canada. I came here in 1989, and I was under the impression that the way to be regarded as legally blind, in this country, was to be registered with CNIB. So I duly went off and got the registration done. Um, it's just about the last consumer interaction I've had with them in the 33 years that I've been in the country because I've found them largely irrelevant to what I think is important as a blind person. Now, I recognize that I came here having already learned Braille and all of the skills related to blindness and having had a pretty good sense of who I am and and where I fit in the world. So, I didn't have the kind of need that a newly blind person would have for CNIB. I also didn't have the the web of social interactions where blind people often alternate between being clients and being on contract or on staff with the agency. So that it's it's a rather confusing landscape from that perspective. I think that for me the governance package as it currently exists is designed to obfuscate and to evade clear accountability for anything and also to make CNIB into a perpetual motion machine. And for years, CNIB has been used by government as a kind of intermediary between themselves and the large and somewhat confusing blind community. Uh, Government feels they don't really understand blindness very well. And so they are looking for the one source that they can outsource their decision-making to. And CNIB has been very happy To fulfill that role. And so, those of us who think that that organization is not doing what we think is needed can be easily pushed aside and written off as cranks or bitter or uh, uninformed. We don't have the same level of connectedness to the people who rule the country both the social elites and the governmental elites. And so they would rather go to their trusted source when finding out what is true or needed for blind people. And that's not because anybody is bad or wants to be dismissive. It's just that there has been such a level of confusion created that that's the, the result. As for blind people, we're consumers, but we're not customers in the traditional sense of someone saying, yeah, I'd rather buy uh, Skittles than candy corn, or I'd rather buy Betty Crocker than Duncan Hines. There's not a direct consumer relationship between us and CNIB in the sense that we either control ourselves or have a pot of money that we can use to purchase the services we want. So the government makes decisions about where its money is going, and the giving public makes decisions about where its money is going. And consumers have very much more limited ability to affect that because we can't really affect the bottom line of any entity we feel is not doing what needs doing.
2: So maybe both of you can tell me more about that. We know that Kevin and Jane talked about the organization being participatory, that there are degrees of participation that blind Canadians can have. But I think what you're telling me is that's different than sort of consumers being involved in the decision making and the governance of the organization.
0: I get a lot of advice from my siblings, my husband, my children, and what I do with advice is what most people do with advice. I take it under advisement and accept the advice that I like and reject the advice that I don't. And I B as an entity does that too. But I, as a consumer, if I think that the organization is going in the wrong direction, I can vote with my feet by not showing up, but beyond that, there's very little that can be done. For example, in the last decade, there was a a survey put out asking whether blind people wanted CNIB to get involved in the training and provision of guide dogs to blind people. And... The blind consumers fairly overwhelmingly said, no, That there are four schools already in Canada, and we also have access to schools in the U.S. We don't want CNIB in that space. The donors said, yes, CNIB should do that. Well, CNIB is now doing that because... For one thing, there's gold in them; they are harnesses, and for another thing, the donors really are their customers in many respects. Blind people are the product. Our neediness is sold to government and the public as the reason for funding c and i b We are what they sell to the funders, our needs, our wants um the case they can make for being able to meet our needs and our wants. That's what the government buys. That's what the public buys.
3: I think, as a to, to shore that up, it, we were we were very well served in the guide dog industry, but there was a great fundraising opportunity. So,
0: yeah, they weren't responding to our need for service; they were responding to their need for money.
3: What
2: about the fact that currently the board, that national board, needs to be representative of fifty uh, percent of people who are blind? partially sighted, deafblind. Isn't that a degree of representation?
0: It is possible to find blind people who have almost any view and any opinion, and uh, there's no mechanism by which every blind person in the country can go to a voting booth and cast a ballot for the person they want to represent them. When CNIB chooses blind people, They may choose an occasional iconoclast, but by and large, the blind people they choose tend to be on board with the general idea of CNIB's structure, and they don't choose people, for example, who think that a national CNIB stifles innovation and it would be better if the organization were completely broken up to allow more space for government and blind people themselves to rethink what it is we want.
4: Where is the representation of the consumer groups on the board? Do you feel that's missing as well? Like the, that uh, CFB, ABC um, should be represented as a group because they represent yes. people. They don't just represent themselves, right?
0: Yeah, I'd- I think that's right, and you know there are a number of groups large and small across the country who each have a constituency c and i b chooses their people as individuals, but not because they can bring the views of a constituency to the board. Just having someone be blind is not sufficient uh for years until twenty 20- 2009, CNIB said, well, the person in charge must be a blind person. When they decided they wanted a particular person, the board in in one vote blew away what Colonel Baker had intended as the strongest protection for consumers.
3: And I think too, Mary Ellen, the, you know, the discussion here is all around, you know, the single, the danger of the single narrative. And I and i think cnib is certainly a microcosm of the greater community that we all live in and we've certainly seen over the last 3 years the you know the, the censorship of dissenting views and uh, and there's no doubt that you know in order for an organization to survive and and keep itself alive you know you have to they, they set a, a path and they're going to go down that path and dissenting views are not gonna pull them onto a different road because that doesn't take them to the destination they've, uh, they've planned. So there certainly is a narrative. And in order to participate on the, on the boards, I believe that there has to be a certain amount of compliance to, uh, to that narrative. Can we
2: see a scenario where we have consumer groups represented on the board? Will that, will that function? Will that be an effective governance board?
3: I've heard recently that Robert Fenton has been appointed the, the National Board Chair, and, and he's certainly done some work in the advocacy uh, consumer arena in his past. And, and I'm, I'm hopeful that he will be able to set a, a future course that will have greater involvement by the consumer movement in, in the direction of services too. To those consumers, and so i'm I'm hoping and trusting that that robert will be able to to move the ship uh, in a direction that is that is more fitting and I certainly would like personally i'd like to see when CNAB walks into a government boardroom that they would bring the consumer movement into the room as well uh, and I think you know it, it's sad that they go in by themselves professing to be all things to um to all blind Canadians without, without the consumer movement uh, to sh- either shore that up or to, um, to change that narrative a bit. When you look at the, the split of the organization into vision loss rehabilitation and uh, now deafblind services as well, there's some confusion even, you know, and, and I, I get it. It, it. it can't be easy to, to try and serve different masters because they're, they're looking for provincial government health care funding for the rehabilitation Arm of the organization, and same with debt blind services, but yet the charity side, you know, goes after charitable donations. And so, if one isn't getting all their needs met on the charity side, in order to access VLR, you don't just simply go through a door and you're there. You have to go back outside to the sidewalk and come in a different door and get a different referral, you know, and, and then it, it's all dependent on on a, an ophthalmologist's eye report um, before you can get services. So it's not a, an easy path to travel. As a national board, how do, you, how do you make all of this smooth and easy to access? I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but it, it hasn't happened yet anyway.
2: Mary Ellen, you're in a unique position where you're able to speak to how things are different in the U.S. in terms of Blindness services and consumers, because there's not really the equivalent, I understand it, of CNIB in the U.S. That they've organized themselves differently.
0: Yeah, there are three or four hundred different organizations dealing with blindness in the U.S. And that Canada could never support that many. The population here is just one tenth. But essentially, what happens in the U.S. is that. There are two very strong consumer organizations that are always looking over the shoulder of the service providers and saying, hey, you know, you could do this better or we think you could do this differently or we love what you're doing. And then there are the states and the federal government. Well, the federal government directly provides library services. The rehabilitation programs are provided... Um, Every state does it differently. Some states, like Nebraska, uh, they have uh, teachers that they send out to visit people in their homes to provide kind of like vision loss rehabilitation. And they also have a a very intensive in-person nine-month rehabilitation program. Uh, Other states, like Arizona, Counselors buy services, and Arizona has at least two entities, and and Arizona will also buy services from Colorado or California, so consumers can say can look at three or four different programs, and say, yeah, this one fits me better. I'd like services from there. And then the guide dog schools are totally separate from all of that in that they're all private charitable organizations um, that raise money from the public and blind people apply directly to them for their dog. In the United States, there is not one name that people think of when they think of blindness. You might think of the School for the Blind, for blind children, or there might be a local service organization. And so if people connect you with one of those, they will connect you with the local one. In Canada, when I first came here, I was a young mother and I met a couple other young mothers and I was new in town and I said, Do you have any good babysitters? I, you know, once in a while wanted, my husband and I might want to go out for the evening and I don't know any good babysitters, do you? And the response was, I thought C and I B did that for you. And you know, people think C and I B gives us money they think C&IB hands us the equipment we need at no charge they see C&IB as a caretaker of blind people in ways that uh, no American agent no American agency has the street cred with the general public that CNIB has yeah so that's the difference that uh, we're not perceived as belonging to or being controlled by organizations in the states as much as we are here
2: you're pointing out an interesting disconnect Mary Ellen in the sense that the perception of the public is that cNIB does all things for blind people across the country and as you say they're playing the sort of caretaking role. But yet, as consumers, we're really saying that we don't really have the choice that we would like. So that that points to a real disconnect.
3: Not only the public, Peter, but also the uh, government, the decision makers, legislators in our country also see one door for information and access.
0: Effectively, CNIB is, is attempting to put all things blind under their umbrella to their benefit, not necessarily to the benefit of the community. But I do think that the notion of CNIB as intermediary between blind people and their elected and appointed provincial government officials and others in the society is the core problem. Government is going to have to at some point, engage us directly. I've often thought,
4: you know, blindness has a really bad image, yes. you know. Uh, and I always thought it would be interesting if if one of us were to win the lottery or something to hire some kind of PR agency and and come up with a different approach to, you know, how would they advertise, you know, it's a difficult product to to sell, right? Oh but yeah. Find a find a way to sell it with like some creative minds. Find a way to sell it and to sort of advise the consumer movement on on how it could work, right? It restructured and and
0: and and sell a different product, right? Well, certainly the the picture of a blind person holding an empty harness and saying if. CNIB can't get me a guide dog I'm stuck on this side of the street is not the image I want portrayed. And that's That's the kind of thing CNIB does and it's part of why many of us distrust them so completely. It's
3: not even the truth.
0: I think you're absolutely on target though, Hannah. We do need a new image and I should say because I've come across as very hostile and somewhat angry I admire some of the individuals who have worked for CNIB. They're really doing phenomenal work. It's the outline and the structure that is the problem. And I believe that the people who've been doing good work could be freed up to do even more and better with a different structure so i don't mean to sound like there's nothing good that ever comes out of cnib there are some fabulous people who worked there
3: yeah so. there've always been some some great folks in in the organization doing the best they can with with the limited access they have to to create change and to create improvement in people's lives but and i've I've often said with with tongue firmly planted in cheek i think if you if you were to shut down all cnib offices across the country and lay everybody off and leave them shut down for two years and then started to rehire people or hire new people at the end of that two-year period the the culture is in the paint it's in the it's in the carpet so i think when you restarted it two years later, the culture would remain. It, would, it wouldn't have changed very much, I'm afraid.
0: Yeah, we have to change our own culture. Um, because right. it's, and it is, it is very difficult to do because fish doesn't know it's in water. And you become acclimated to the way things are. And, and as you say, the culture is in the paint. So that would be a challenge.
2: Well, thank you very much, Mary Ellen and Albert. Um, In a way, we have to cut this short because there's so much to say. Um, So maybe we can continue the conversation. And Mary Ellen, you talked about a national conversation. Let's see if we can do that. Uh, I might be a little ideal here. I'm sure that I am. But we have you on, we've had... CNIB on. We will continue to have them on as I said at our next podcast. So let's see if we can get a national conversation going. So thank you very much for joining us today on Triple Vision. Triple
1: Vision is made possible by the generous support of Alliant, A L L Y A N T, and the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. AEBC. Triple Vision is produced in collaboration with Accessible Media Inc. AMI Audio. Jacob Szymanski is the technical producer, and Andy Frank is the manager of AMI Audio. And finally, thank you for joining us on this journey. If you would like to reach out to Triple Vision with questions or comments, you can email us at triplevision21 at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at triplevision21.